Well, good morning. Husbands, if you forgot about Valentine's Day, now is a good time to repent. Boyfriends, same to you. We'll, we should have a mercy seat up front here. Uh, but Valentine's Day is a special day. It's been commercialized, but we love it when people that we love express in different ways that they love us. We love it when people speak from the heart because it's not propaganda, it's not something that's made up. When we speak from the heart, it's speaking from out of our real person who we are. It's not just from the head, but it's from the center of who we are as people. The passage that Crystal read earlier out of Luke gets to the heart of the matter. It talks about the four different types of soil. Three of them were not productive, but one was. Gets right to the heart of the gospel that Jesus spoke. When I think of the heart, two men in the Old Testament come to mind. Maybe they did with you. One is Pharaoh. You guys remember the story of Pharaoh. Pharaoh was a man that got to witness miracles, signs and wonders as Moses and Aaron came into his presence. Yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened before the Lord. You theological juggernauts, you can deal with God hardened Pharaoh's heart part. Uh, That's a tough one. But we do know this. That in the presence of God, Pharaoh hardened his heart to the word of God and the call for him to trust God and to let the people go. So he's a, he's a good bad example of the heart we find in the Old Testament is Pharaoh with a hardened heart. But in the good side, we found a man named King David. He was known by God as a man after my own heart. He was passionate. He was a great writer. He was a musician, he was a warrior, he was a great leader, he was a man that sought the heart of God. But there's a great warning, even though here's a man in the Old Testament who sought after the heart of God, King David messed up. There was a time in his life when he wasn't cultivating his heart. Instead, he was feeding his lust as he stood on top of a building and he saw a woman who was already married in his presence. And instead of at that time moving in the power of, the, of God and of His Spirit, He chose to harden His heart, even at that time. And He walked in disobedience to God. And this is King David. King David was a man who really messed up. For you and me, we've got to check the condition of our hearts. It's something that God expects us to do. It's not something that somebody else can do for us. And as I begin to speak a little bit about the, uh, the meaning of the parable, I'd like us just to settle our hearts for a minute and be quiet before the Lord for a few seconds and uh, give God permission to not just come here, but come to the core of our being and ask His Spirit if He'll minister to us and touch our hearts and speak to us individually. Where are we in our relationship with God? It's a risky thing to do to come into the presence of the living God. But let's do that. Will you just bow with me? Let's be quiet before the Lord, and I'll close in prayer here in a second. Father God, we trust you. You alone know the inner workings of our heart. You alone know all the distractions we have in this world. And as you look at our heart condition you're able to minister to us, to strengthen us, to correct us, to encourage us. And so we invite you in.
May your word be understandable to us. May we apply it and live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 8.11, the meaning of the parable is described by Jesus. And he starts with the first seed. He says the seed is God's word. should be up there on the PowerPoint if it's working. And the seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. The first truth about our heart condition is if God's word doesn't penetrate our heart, it will be stolen. In fact, it will be stolen by Satan himself. That's how the story is illustrated here. And the danger that we face is this, that when God's word comes forth to us, if it bounces off of our hardened hearts, that's a danger. And so we have to begin to ask, what's the condition of my heart? And first of all, we can't defeat the devil on our own. Satan has exploited human weaknesses since the first man on earth. You guys remember Adam and Eve. Though they knew no sin, Satan deceived them in the garden. And there's only been one person who's been able to stand up to the temptations of Jesus Christ, uh, to the temptation of Satan, and that's Jesus Christ himself. There's been no other human being that has walked in perfection outside of Jesus. And so if we think that the first Adam was vulnerable, where does that put you and me? Jesus came to overcome this ancient foe. But there's a danger for you and me. He knows our every human weakness. The ancient enemy has been targeting human beings since the garden. He's been very successful. Even with Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness, Satan came after him with a customized plan. He went after his lordship. He went after his hunger as he was fasting. He tried to get Jesus to somehow compromise. And he's trying to do the same for you and me. He's looking at our family histories. He's looking at our patterns. And he's trying to keep us from allowing God's word to take root in our hearts. He's hoping it begins to bounce off so that he can gather the seeds and get rid of them so there's no trace of God's presence. But especially for the unbeliever, for the person who hears about the salvation of Jesus for the first time and their heart doesn't receive it and it bounces off, pretty soon the birds and they come and they eat it up and Satan removes the word so that it doesn't have any chance of bringing salvation unto that person. And so the ancient one has a battle plan for you, for me, for everyone on the earth. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit of God to take a look at our hearts, to keep it soft. So that when God's word comes, it takes root and takes seed and begins to grow. Instead of bouncing off and bringing no effect. In Luke 8.13, the second soil is the rocky soil. It says the seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. If God's word doesn't develop roots in our hearts, we will fall away. What was blocking the growth of the roots? It was the rocky soil. 
And the danger we face is when temptations overpower our will to obey God and we begin to compromise. Not only can we not overcome the devil, but we can't overcome our sinful nature on our own. Do you know how powerful our sinful nature is? Watch a toddler. Man is not basically good. We have a nature in us that is not from heaven. We have a nature that's from the, the consequences of the fall. And Jesus came so that by his Holy Spirit, he can plant within you and me a nature that comes from the kingdom of God. That new nature gives you new weapons. That new nature gives us the ability to overcome temptations. That new nature allows us to overcome our evil, sinful nature because they both remain present within us until Christ returns. We have a dual nature in us. One is from God, the other is from the flesh. And if you look at the story here, the problem was without deep roots, the one who heard fell away. Does it break your heart when somebody hears the gospel? They seem to be excited about it. And a month later, they disappear. It always hurt me as a pastor. When I'd share the good news of Jesus, somebody seemed excited to it, but they did not remain in God. They did not remain in his word, and they fell away. I didn't get mad at them. I had compassion. The enemy did his work, didn't he? Pull them away from the body. Pull them away from the truth. Pull them away from a love for the Word of God. And I think part of that is because a lot of people respond to Christ and willpower instead of true spiritual power. James Bryan Smith in his book, The Good and Beautiful God, writes a lot about this. It's a great read for you if you want to read a book. He likens the will, our will, to a horse. And the horse happens to have multiple riders. So the will in itself is nothing special, it's nothing of a great power, but it's influenced by a variety of factors. But he says there's three factors that are the most influential points of the human will. The first is the mind. And Smith goes on to say that we need to correct our bad narratives uh, that we have and correct them with kingdom narratives. Let me show you how this might work out. The mind is one of the riders and is controlling the direction the horse goes. The horse's response is just to go left or right. You kick it so it takes off. It it responds to the rider's commands. And as our mind begins to take a look at the bad narratives in our lives, for example, some people believe that when you are struggling that the Holy Spirit leaves you. And I want to tell you that's a horrible narrative. Because when I read in the Scriptures, Jesus said, I will never leave you, nor what? So whether I'm going through good times or struggles, I know that God in His Spirit is present with me. So if I'm doing the battle of my mind, I have to replace my bad narrative. I don't know where these things come from. And I have to put it with a kingdom narrative that says, wait a minute, Jesus promised to always be with me. Whether I'm struggling or not, He's going to walk with me. And so my mind then has to get its hands around this new narrative and I begin to meditate on that, to think about it, to quote Scripture, and to actually do battle within my mind because I want to make sure that the will is influenced by a Christ-centered mind and not by 
a mind filled with the flesh. Does that make sense? So Romans 12, 1 and 2 can be a passage that, that you might want to think about. What we think, what we believe, and if we really mess up on the nature and the character and the mission of God, everything crumbles. If we think that God is a God who can't wait for you to mess up so he can come at you, then what do we do with all the narratives about God's grace? What do we do with the prodigal God who runs after his lost son? And I believe a lot of our problems with our willpower is that we're thinking incorrectly. And we're letting our will be determined by minds that are not bathed in the Holy Spirit and in the Word of God. What's important to remember is it's training our mind in the Spirit that's going to bring transformation. It's not trying harder in my own strength. So many people fall away because they say, I've tried it and I just can't seem to get my hands about it. And Jesus says, that's exactly what I want you to do. Open your hands and ask me by my Spirit to empower you. So the willpower is tricky. What's the second rider on the horse is the body. It's been said that the body is a good servant, but a horrible master. Most of our necessary bodily functions last night as we slept took place. Your heart beat. You were breathing well unless you have sleep apnea. Unfortunately, I was snoring too much. But the body, the necessary things were going on. Your body was at rest, your mind, you were in a deep sleep. And guess what? The world was going on fine under God's control as you were in your bed. When we're hungry, our body tells us. Our stomach growls and some of us get grumpy. When we're tired, our body says, you need to rest. But the body tries to demand obedience, and it's very selfish because it wants you to care for it. In fact, when you wrap in the things of the flesh, many people lack self-control, and their bodies, in essence, rule them more than the Spirit does. And God wants us not to obey the lusts, the demands, the requirements that the body seems to place on us. And so he wants us to train the body as part of our discipleship. Training the body by the Holy Spirit is the answer. It's not trying harder in my own strength. In 2007, Peyton Manning was the MVP of the Super Bowl. The Colts won 29-17. Us old guys remember the game. The Colts normally play their games in the Superdome. And so that means the footballs are always dry. But at this Super Bowl game, it was raining. Rex Grossman from the Bears threw two interceptions. Peyton Manning threw one. And uh, Peyton actually played a better game. They went on to win the game. But afterwards, an interviewer was talking to Peyton Manning. And the subject of the wet footballs came up. And Peyton said, the way that I practice is to be prepared. I actually, well, weeks before games, I will bring out soaking wet footballs. I'll have them snap to me so I can handle them. They're a bit heavier and soggier and slippery. So I have to learn because there's a chance that half my games I play throughout the season may be outdoors and we may be rained upon. 
And I need to be prepared. See, what Peyton did, what he couldn't do, he was throwing wet footballs in a dome in order to enable himself to do what he could not without proper preparation. That is to play great in the rain. This is the mystery of misdirection. It's a great way to train the body. Remember, the body is the second rider on the horse for the human will. The first was what? The mind, now the body. They're both demanding obedience as we're riding this horse. And a great way to train the body through self-direction is like this. How many of you are struggling with impatience? Some of the worst times on the roads are about 9 a.m. with people rushing to church to be there on time. Uh, One way you can train the body to chill out is how about driving in the slow lane at the speed limit? Novel idea. One thing that I've been trying is sometimes I go to the grocery store. I don't know if you have a pet peeve, but you may have been in a line for 10 minutes. It's really really long. And they open up another check stand. And as you finally got to about the middle, and you look back and the line's going there, the new check stand opens, and the person in the back sprints to the front of the line. Does it bug you too? (laughs) You know, it's... uh, But what about this, training the body? Because we struggle with impatience. We're an instant gratification culture. I get mad at McDonald's if it takes more than five minutes. I can't believe it. What if you went to the grocery store and you said, I'm picking the longest line and I'm going to the back? And your intention was, while I'm in this line, I'm going to pray, God, I need to learn patience. And I need to learn margin. Why am I rushing in the freeway so fast? Because I'm not planning my day very well, and I'm leaving too late. But what if you put your body in its place? You tell it, chill out. Life is not worth being in a rush everywhere. What if you're greedy? We don't talk about greed much anymore, you know that? What if we're struggling with greed? We want, we want, we see, we want. And I'll admit, I want a Corvette. I would look good in a Corvette. And they get good gas mileage on the freeway. (laughs) Almost 30, it gets better than my Mazda. And I can begin to rationalize why I need a Corvette. Because it's safe and it's good for driving. It's American classic. And if it was up to my body, I would be placing this body in a C7. And I'd have a lot of fun while I was in it. And I know that's a weakness of mine, so I've just said this. God, I pray that if you want me to have a Corvette, that somebody will give me one. (laughs) And it's removed some of the pressure, but I still drive by and I think, could that be the one you're going to give me, God? (laughs) So if you're struggling with greed, what's, what's the counter to that? Give. Give until it hurts. And then after that, give some more. And then after that, keep giving and giving and giving until the greed begins to disappear. What about if you're struggling with selfishness? You want, you want, you want. Center of attention. I recommend that you go to a soup kitchen. And you serve homeless people that sometimes have children with them. And then you start to say, wait a minute, God. My selfish desires are not good. There's others with greater needs. Or maybe you struggle with pride. 
You want people to know that you did something, and you want to know that you did it well. A good way to combat that is do some acts of secrecy. Help somebody, and don't let anybody know but you and God. And that act of indirection, that act of combating the body when it wants to be known and recognized, we begin to train it. And we're not trying harder. We're just training smarter. The third rider on the horse is social context. Just think of it as people. But I had to use James Brian Smith's phrase. And our relationships greatly influence our choices of the will. We even have a phrase called peer pressure. Peer pressure gets me to do things I maybe wouldn't have done before. Just think about this. If the mind is not controlled by the spirit, if the body is not controlled by the spirit, what happens when you enter into social relationships? You're not going to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. But if your mind is controlled by the Spirit, and your body is controlled by the Spirit, and then you enter into human relationships, the chances of you succeeding and not compromising are much higher. But I believe that spiritual growth does require us to have God-inspired boundaries in relationships. Some of you are in relationships that you need to get out of. If you're in a dating relationship, a believer, and somebody who doesn't know Christ yet, you are out of bounds. If you are in a harmful relationship that you know is dragging you down consistently in your faith, you need to have the courage to say, my will is being influenced negatively, and God, you need to create a new norm for me. Help me to modify the relationships that I'm in. Some of your jobs are toxic. Some people are working in an are employed by businesses that are counter to the Christian walk, and you need to make a hard choice. Some of us are in relationships that are good, but we need to amp it up a little bit better. My encouragement in order to change your social context part of your will is hang out with kingdom-minded people. Make sure you find some people in your life that are seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness. And those are good people to spend quality time with to open the word, to pray, to be transparent before, and then your willpower will change because you're influencing who's writing it. I am not suggesting that you remove yourself from all your relationships with unbelievers. Then we would have no Christian witness. But I am saying that your most intimate relationships need to be shaped by kingdom-minded people. And I believe that in the end, the Holy Spirit, through this type of training of your mind, your body, and your relationships you're going to see great things. Let's move on to Luke 8:14. The first the first seed fell on a hard path, the second seed fell on the rocky soil, and the third we'll find out what it fell upon. It says the seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. So they never grow into what? Maturity. And here's the truth. If God's word gets crowded out, we will never grow into maturity as disciples. And that's the key phrase I believe we need to ask ourselves. Is, am I growing as a disciple? Not just one who believes in Jesus, but am I resembling Jesus? Are my choices resembling Christ's choices? Are my motivations being motivated from the kingdom? 
The danger is when the love of riches or pleasures begins to override our faith. That's when we stand in trouble. Our culture has made gods out of wealth and pleasure. You realize that? Watch advertising on TV. And you tell me how many commercials are set about you accumulating wealth or you finding pleasure. You'll be, you'll be surprised at how, ma- how much advertising comes our way. Look at the billboards when you drive on the freeway if you're not driving in the slow lane. And, and ask, what are they trying to sell me? Because we have a culture that, that has made God out of being wealthy, God out just finding pleasure in life. And what we find is unattended flower beds in our heart produce thorns. Just yesterday I went out in my backyard because of the rains. I have weeds and I begin to pluck them out. What would happen if I never went in my backyard and picked the weeds? My wife would be very mad and Valentine's Day wouldn't be fun. But it would overtake my yard, wouldn't it? Same is true in the Christian walk. We have to take a look and see, is something crowding out my heart for God's preeminence? Is something blocking my heart for God's Word? Am I watching four hours of television and reading my Bible once a week? What is crowding out? A Christ-centeredness in my heart where His Word can rule and reign. I found that I don't even trust my own opinion about the condition of my heart much anymore. There's times when I sit in God's presence and I realize there's things there I didn't even recognize that he reveals. Some are good and some are bad. And when God reveals a thorn bush in my heart, he asks me, are you willing to pull it out? Because what happens if that thorn bush is allowed to grow? The riches, the pleasures of this life begin to overtake us. And those thorns begin to puncture the flesh of our heart. And pretty soon, we begin to stagnate and not only cease to grow, but we actually go in the negative fashion. We start to lose out on our faith if we're not careful. So let's end with a good story. This is what we're hoping in all of our lives, is verse 15. It says, And the good seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's Word. And if you're an underlining person in your Bible, underline these. If you have the NLT, it'll say cling to it, hold to it. There's different passages, different translations. But the idea of God's Word comes, and it's precious, and I'm going to do all I can to get my hands around this and keep it. Cling to it and then patiently produce a huge harvest. If God's word remains in our heart, we will eventually produce a huge harvest. Our farmers in the room know that crops come after three seasons. There's the fall, there's the winter, and there's the spring. And it's after those seasons, harvest comes. And the Christian walk, patience and persistent faith is needed. We have to cling to it. We have to be patient. And our job is to hang on to God and His Word as tightly as we can. 
The production of fruit, that's all God's job. You don't have to worry about it. If you're hanging on to Jesus, you will bear a huge harvest in his time. The danger is stop, stop trying to pick the fruit too quickly. If you're going through a hard trial and you know that in the end if you persevere that you're going to be strong in your faith, don't try to run out of the trial too quickly. Let God show you how to be victorious. Trust Him. Trust Him. We have to understand that our faith in Christ is actually an act of God's grace too. It's not that we had such good hearts that God said, this person is perfect, so I'm going to put my seed in there and it's going to take off. In fact, it's quite the opposite if you really look at other scriptures. In John 6.44, Jesus said, For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me, and on the last day I will raise them up. That we are at God's grace by us even knowing Jesus. It's God's mercy to draw us in, and he does that with every human heart. He wants everybody to know him and to be saved. And so it's not because we're good that we're saved, it's because He is good that we are saved. Amen? So I want to close with uh, just a thought of keys to transformation. We all know that intentional training in God's Spirit and not trying harder in my own strength is the key, right? So if there's two words I want you to take away, it's training and not trying. You know the difference? Training is under the Spirit's guidance as God leads me to train myself for righteousness. Trying hard is you in your own efforts saying, I'm going to do everything myself. But what if you put your will over here with God and you say, I'm going to train under your guidance, under your power, under your supervision. I'm going to train myself to be a disciple with a goal in mind. The goal is the tighter I cling to you, the tighter I love your word, the more I meditate on your word, the more I walk and change my mind, I change my body, I change my social relationships, the more I do things like this, the more fruit I will bear in the end. And that's the hope that all of us have. Before I pray, I think there's two groups that I'd like to challenge. The first one is, if you've never responded to Jesus ever in your life, if you've never had him as your Lord and Savior, today's a day you can do that. Today's a day where you can say yes to Jesus, stop trying in your own power, and you can ask God if he will deliver you from sin and save you for his purposes. And as we're talking about this, I'm going to invite the band to come up now too. Come on up, we're going to sing a song in a minute. So that's the first group. If, if you're here and you've never responded, maybe the Word of God has been bouncing off your heart, or you've just never said yes to Jesus today, will you make this your day to respond to Jesus? And the second group, that's the rest of us. I challenge you, how will you begin to cling to God's Word and to train yourself as a disciple more today? See, God wants you to continue to grow so that huge harvest at the end is in your life. The scripture said a hundred times what was planted. Wouldn't that be great to have a hundredfold harvest of righteousness in our lives, of Christ-likeness in our lives, because we believed Jesus and what he said was true.
So I'd like us to bow our head now for a minute. And I'm just going to ask you, if you are that person who said, I am now ready today to receive the forgiveness of Jesus. For the first time in my life, I want Jesus. Could you just raise your hand and have your eyes just look up at me? Just raise your hand, nod at me if this is you. And for the rest of us, I want to pray. Lord Jesus, we want to be like branches that abide in you as our vine. Teach us what it means to connect to you, to be nourished by you, to walk in your power. God, give us the courage to ask for soft hearts. Give us the courage to remove any rocks from the soil of our heart and to pluck out all thorn bushes so that the soil is rich in our heart and ready for you. So God, we invite you to be our teacher, our trainer, our Lord, our friend. In Jesus' name, amen.